Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and normally alongside here each and every week with me is LPJ uh, professional and Legends Tour player Cindy Miller, and we, of course, are the hosts of the show, but Cindy is on a uh, weekly hiatus, if you will. She's attending a corporate event this week, so she won't be uh, joining me this morning, but nevertheless, uh, I will be batching it, I guess, uh, if you will, on my own, um, but uh, not to worry. We've got a great show for you this morning. Uh, joining me here in just a few moments is going to be my very special guest um, that was actually supposed to be on last week, but we ran into a technical issue uh, and unfortunately had to cancel literally last minute. Uh, but my special guest this morning is going to be Alicia Larson. Uh, she is an LPJ Class A teacher professional, plus she's the founder and president of Gratitude Golf. And uh, as you may be call, uh, recall, if, uh, about a month or so ago, if you tune into Golf Talk Live, um, you, she was interviewed there as well. And uh, we talked about her book, which she authored, The Missing Link, Uh, the powerful role of self-talk in the mind game of golf. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, a little bit about gratitude golf. And uh, I got a few questions that were submitted in uh, through some, by some students and listeners of the program. And uh, I'll see if maybe she can help uh, uh, them a little bit with, uh, with their game. But um, anyways, glad that you can join us uh, this morning on the show. And as I said, every Tuesday morning uh, from nine to 10 a.m. Eastern standard time uh, is the uh, time slot for the women of golf show. And if you want to, uh, find us, go to blogtalkradio.com, up in the search key, type uh, Women of Golf, and that will take you to the main page. And of course, uh, during the live broadcast from 9 to 10 Eastern on Tuesdays, uh, you'll find us front and center. Uh, but for some reason, if you're not able to join us, not to worry, uh, just go to that link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Women of Golf, and just scroll down to the On Demand section. And as I've mentioned so many times before, the shows are auto-recorded. Uh, so you can tune in uh, when it's convenient for you if you're not able to join us live. But not to worry, as I said, uh, lots of great shows in the archive section as well. Uh, lots of uh, great guests that we've had in the past. Uh, also, uh, for those of you that uh, like to use iTunes, if you go to iTunes.com and in the podcast section, if you type in Women of Golf, that will take you there as well. And you can listen to the archived uh, programs there as well. Uh, anytime you want to call in or, or speak to us on the program, you can do so by calling area code 347-945-5855. That's 347-945-5855. And for some reason, if uh, you uh, are in the uh, golf industry and you'd like to come on the show and, and maybe share your thoughts with, uh, with uh, Cindy and my audience, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So you can reach out to either one of us. Uh, my email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And Cindy's, of course, is cindy at cindymillergolf.com. Uh, or if you just have comments or questions about the program, maybe you've uh, – thought of somebody that you'd like to hear on the show that you maybe know or, or have contact with and you'd like to uh, recommend that they, uh, they be a guest on the show, uh, you can reach us out at those emails as well. We'd love to hear from you. As I said, I we've got a great show for you. Let me just remind everybody, too, 
Um, this Thursday uh, is uh, when my uh, other program, Golf Talk Live, airs, and that is from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 uh, p.m. Eastern Time. And I've got a great show for you this week coming up. Uh, another uh, interesting round of Coach's Corner. Coach's Corner is a great uh, panel discussion that I started about three years ago on that show and uh, where I invite a number of different uh, PGA and, and uh, other uh, professionals as well and, and uh, people that specialize in, in different areas of, of golf, including fitness and, and the mind game and so forth. And we come on and have a, a very insightful and interesting panel discussion, so it's worth tuning into. And then, of course, I follow up uh, on the second hour with a, a great guest, and I've got a great guest this week as well. Dave Bisbee is going to be joining me uh, here this week uh, on Thursday uh, As I said, we'd love for you to share um, the, the show, so make sure that you go to uh, either facebook.com uh, and you can look up either myself, uh, I'm Ted Odorico or Cindy Miller. Uh, we always post uh, for the Women of Golf, and of course I always post uh, on there for the uh, Golf Talk Live show, uh, the upcoming guests and, and dates and so forth and times of the shows. So you can always find them there or go to the Golf Talk Live uh, blog page. Everything is posted there as well. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Ted and Buck CEO. That's Ted and Buck CEO is in capital letters. And thank you, uh, as always, for all of the uh, recent followers there. Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, my guest this morning, uh, a little bit more detail And uh, while I'm waiting for her to come on board. As I mentioned, she is a uh, Class A LPGA teacher professional and founder of and president of Gratitude Golf, uh, also the author of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf, And uh, her vision, if you will, for Gratitude Golf uh, and her coaching and golf instruction is to equip golfers to tap into their full potential uh, by discovering their individual gifts. And with specific tools and uh, to enhance their uh, progress, she encourages them to stay focused on positive achievements and become aware of and work through any obstacles that may be keeping them from reaching their goals. And on the lesson tee, there's uh, an important emphasis on the fundamentals of the game and specific mechanics, but also includes an essential combination of the mental approach of the game uh, of golf and life. And uh, she coaches everybody from beginners to intermediate to advanced players and currently uh, coaches and teaches men, women, and junior golfers uh, as some of her students. So uh, very well-rounded, if you will, uh, as a professional. And uh, just uh, was a great guest on, on Golf Talk Live, and I'm really looking forward to having her back on the show this morning here on the Women of Golf Show. And I see that she's uh, raring to go. So let me bring out, uh, since I've done the introduction, let me bring out my very special guest this morning, uh, Alicia Larson. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning, Ted. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Not a problem. And uh, fortunately, touch wood, we made it here this morning, as I was mentioning earlier to the folks um, we had a little technical issue last minutes uh, last week when you were originally supposed to be on, uh, but nevertheless we managed to work them all out. So here you are, um, mm-hmm. Alicia. Let me just ask you. Let me just ask you uh, to start off just a little bit. Uh, you've got so many great accolades um, that it just would take up most of the hour just to read them all out. But um, I know mm-hmm. that uh, you know obviously you, you wrote a, a very great book. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but maybe you could just kind of lead us into a little bit, uh, kind of give us a sneak uh, preview, if you will, as to why you wrote that book. What was the reasoning behind it? Well, the, it, it was like over over time, I would probably say realistically over maybe 
five to ten years because I had gentlemen years and probably in the more of the ten year mark had said to me I told him some I said someday I want to write a book and he said well that's great but you you know you really should write there's a lot of golfing books out there but you really should write one that's got a special message or you know something different because you want to make it kind of stand out and so that was kind of my first thought of you know a book and what what it might be you know consist of but over time and then when I began began to um you know, uh, when I met Dr. Shad Helmstetter too, then I realized that self-talk had kind of directed my life in many ways that I wasn't even aware of. So my awareness was, I mean, I, I didn't realize I was really beating myself up, myself up as much as I, I was at times in my life or how it dictated the outcome in my life of whatever situation I was in. So I sat and when I would give lessons and I would sit, sit and listen to people, you know, like either positively or negatively influence their outcomes you know they it was like wow there's so many more people that need to hear this message that that's kind of what spawned it and then as I over the next you know five to seven years I would just start taking notes and you know like situational stories and and that sort of thing but I mean it gosh Ted it happens every day on the lesson tee where I see people creating realities that really aren't but they are in their mind so they are it's just a tricky little statement you know if we (laughs) You literally think what I just said. We they create this reality that is not a reality, but it really is because they're living it and it is in their mind. So, you know, it's um uh, it, it's just a fascinating, fascinating topic to to think about relative to what you know, and then I think, gosh, what have they done in, in their lives to make, you know, set up these obstacles or or if they do that to succeed too, because you can take two scenarios, you know, when I do my presentations I take a successful person and somebody who in people's eyes maybe isn't so successful and you know why are they the way they are today yeah and and that's a great point and you know what's 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 kind of interesting uh alicia is this if you really look back through um the history of golf you know we really never talked about this i mean really the first i and i'm going from my own personal experience the first i'd ever really heard about um sort of the mind game if you will was jack nicholas you know jack talked Mm. about how the importance of, of self-talk and, and really the importance of uh, his mental game, if you will, as it was referred to then. Now, of course, everybody doesn't like to always use that terminology. They have something else, emotional and, and other things uh, factor into it. But, you know, Jack was really the first person I recall ever really talking about that. Um, it might have been an underlying or unwritten rule, if you will, um, or even a subconscious thing that all golfers probably realized um, was necessary but he was really the first one in my uh, understanding that really Mm. sort of brought that discussion forward. And it just sort of seemed Mm -hmm. like it died. Like you never heard a lot about it, but here lately, especially in the last decade or so, you're hearing a lot of people, a lot of the the current players, both on the LPGA and the the PGA tours um, are talking about how important that self-talk and that, that positive reinforcement. And, and you do that very well through your program uh, and, and programs through gratitude golf. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, and what your background philosophy is uh, with uh, with gratitude golf? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I think that's you're right. It has been kind of like this. It's almost like the the, the big elephant, the white elephant in the room kind of thing, but nobody wanted to talk right. about it. You know, it's right. <laughs> and or we'd see something on television and say, "Wow, how did that happen? How did that guy like get a nine on this in a major tournament?" And you know, how did that happen to that guy? He's so good. But really, if you if you went and we had the opportunity to interview that that player. He probably he or she probably would have said, you know, gosh, I just, you know, mentally that hole just kills me every time I play it. You know, so 
we might have found exactly the reason what you know what happened when we saw it on you know on TV, if you will. And so you know, I, I guess gratitude for me was the turning point when I when I was at a really low point in my career. I I realized that you know the way that I'm going to feel better is to do something nice for other people because my mother taught me that when I was a child. So it was I started doing things you know very with very little resources as far as emotional emotionally for me because I was very broken but I I wanted to feel good and I I think I mentioned to you this to you before where I was selfishly just kind of doing things to make make me feel good but I was doing good things for the right. world other people and giving free you know women's clinics and that sort of thing so that kind of spawned that but I I I I I think that I was very grateful for, you know, when my company five years ago, when I decided I wanted to call it Gratitude Golf because I, I started paying it forward and, and feeling and living gratitude more. And it simply just changed my life. I, I, I mean, there's just, there's no other way to say it. When, when you start living from gratitude instead of just talking about it and saying, oh, I know what gratitude is. But when you start really, like, really entrenching yourself in, in, in the throes of it and, and starting to really look at things like, what is it like to really live it? You know, what what is it like to maybe like cliche wise live one day at a time and right. really enjoy whatever moment, what stops you in your feet, what gives you pure joy, you know, so when we're golfing, we should we should embellish that. You you must be out there playing and saying, you know, gosh, I'm playing one of the greatest games ever. And I never did that when I was competing mm-hmm. and it, it really hurt me. You know, I was so caught up in trying to steer the ball and make it stay in play and hit the great shot and the perfect shot all the time. And I wanted it so badly. And, and there's so many golfers out there like that. And so I kind of wanted to be that example to them to say, look, I know exactly how you feel. And I've been in your shoes. And I had this young girl that's a sophomore in high school text me last night. She said, when did you start? She's very much like me in that sense, you know, like right. she wants to, she wants it so badly, wants to play D1 golf. And she's, she's like, when did you ever, when did you start? And how did that happen when, when you just started swinging freely and really started, you know, enjoying the moment out on the golf course instead of making it such a hard thing, you know, pressing and, you know, pressure and all that stuff. And so there, there's a lot of people out there that we just want them to enjoy the game. Don't we? I mean, (laughs) you and I, from our perspective, stay in the game, have fun, just, you know, it's, it's okay. We're, you know, just don't get so frustrated. So gratitude can give you. Well, yeah, and that's a that's an excellent point, and uh, and hopefully she uh, she listened to the, to the words of wisdom that you gave her. Um, you know what, what's really kind of interesting, Alicia, is this, and and I, and I guess really, and I hate to, you know, I always hate this, especially as a as you know, I get a little more snow. Well, I've got a lot of snow on the roof up top now, but but you know, oh. as I I gray and get get a little bit older and a little thinner too, but um, that's another mm-hmm. story. But you know what, what's what's always interesting is, is this: if you listen. You know, because you've obviously played competitively, and, and uh, you know you've you've played uh, golf, and of course now you you do more of the teaching side of things. But you know, as you were sort of up and coming through your career, I think there's mm-hmm. a and and everybody's different. I realize that, but there's a certain arrogance I think as a younger person. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're ready to conquer the world, and and it's all about kind of me. Um, you know, it's, it's about the me factor. It's, well, how can I, how can I propel my career and how can I, you know, get more of this and how can I do more of that? And I think as you mature, um, and I'm sure you've heard this with some of the younger players that you talk about, it's like, well, how do I do this? And how do I do this? And it's not really so much about giving back. And I don't mean to say that they're selfish, 
but I just think the mindset is different at that age. And I think that as you mature and develop, and I'm sure if you've spoken to or, or uh, talked with a lot of the, the, the great ladies that are on the Legends Tour and, and even uh, the men on the Champions Tour, there's a different approach to how they reflect back on their careers. Now they start to get it and realize, you know what, I'm more grateful now for what I have and what I can do. And it's mm-hmm. not all about, you know, how great I'm going to play out there. Sure, I want to get out there and I want to beat my competitors. But it's just they're grateful for the fact that they've been given this opportunity and they've been given these special gifts that have allowed them to be out there with the rest of the Mm -hmm. gang, if you will. And I think that the younger folks coming up there haven't really learned that yet. And I'm losing you, Ted. What were your thoughts on as far as, um, you know, with, with sort of a personality? Do you think that that's something that you see more of in with some of the younger folks out there? Could, uh, and I'm sorry, Ted. Could you ask the question? You broke up just a little bit with that, the question. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I'll, I'll shorten yep. it then. How's that? Can, can you um, – can you maybe elaborate a little bit from your experience what the um, younger generation coming up now, this sort of about mm. me? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, That's an interesting, I, cause I work with, you know, the girls in my Academy are anywhere from 10 to 18 and there's a lot of, there's a lot of peer pressure and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And, you know, there, every, every kid that I have in the Academy has a different home, you know, home situation and, and that, but they, that, but technology, the way it is today, you know, they're it's so different, you know, they can, with social media and things like that. And that it is, a there's a little bit more of that instantaneous, I should get it right away kind of thing and not that slow gratification of, I've got to work hard for it. Right. And so it's, you know, the, the kids that there is a different mindset. So I I think that, you know, for me, that's that's a really important piece to continue to even if even if over the years if they're with me when they're with me they they might not the, the light bulb might not come on right away you know like it doesn't come on like during their high school life and maybe they you know but if they go into college and they start to get a little bit older and they start to see life a little bit from a different paradigm and then they they start getting the gratitude thing they're like oh i i think i know what alicia meant now but you know, if right. you if you plant that seed and that just keeps you know the tree starts out <clears throat> as a small little bud, you know, and and it just you know you just look at the, everybody as a as a tree that or you know a plant or something that's growing. It's just a seedling that that you plant it. You plant that seed and you you get that mindset of gratitude or just you know being in the moment and not. But yet at the same time, I tell kids I want you to be humbly confident because they do have to have that yes. little bit about about themselves. This is about me. I remember watching. Heather Farr at the Broadmoor mm-hmm. and for, with my, with my husband. And I was like, I, I said to him, I'm like, wow, does she just, she just looks like she looks arrogant walking down the fairway, yeah. but she was just massively confident. I mean, she was so good back then in the, in the you know nineties. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't believe how good she was, but she looks so, I thought I, I perceived it as arrogance, but it's just mere confidence. She strutted down that fairway because she was good. She was the best player back then in that year, particular year. And I remember that. That just stuck with me so much that, you know, the, there is a there is a 
a bit of it. Like I really have to practice hard and, you know, or I, they, they think that and they just, they, you want to have that desire and that heart of a lion kind of, I want this, but yet at the, it's a fine line you walk. You have that, okay, you want that. Cause this player that I was referring to, she wants it really badly and practices a lot and does all that stuff. And right. so did I, but yet then you have to go over to that kind of compassionate gratitude side of, okay, now enjoy the moment. And, and here's how you deal with adversity and how you deal with a bad shot or a bad hole or, you know, but I just think that they, you know, they don't realize like the pros hit really bad shots and have eights and nines on holes. And, you know, there's, you're not yeah. exempt from that. <laughs> Sorry. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great point too, is, um, you know, we, we don't see because of the, the wonderful editing on television, we don't see, um, you know, the, you know, all of the bad shots. We might see a couple in a round if it's, if it's really uh, momentous, but for the most part, we don't see a lot of the, the, you know, because there's just not enough time. Uh, and obviously they yeah. want to make it an exciting sport. So that, you know, they want to have all the, all the really, you know, cool shots, if you will. Um, talk about, you know, we can, we can ever emphasize enough about the importance of practice and specifically practicing with a purpose. Um, but what types of things do you have Hello? Hi. Yeah. I lost you there for a little second, Ted. Um, okay. What types of what something you, heard you? Yeah, sorry. Um, I apologize. I don't know what's happening. It must be my connection. Um, mm-hmm. What types of things do you instill with respect to practice uh, for your students in order to mm. practice with purpose? Yeah, I I really encourage them to listen to their self-talk, even, you know, just what, what – what their frustration level is or if they're, you know, while they're practicing, because if you practice it there, you're going to, that's kind of like normal then to go out and do the same thing when you're on, on the course. So I don't want them practicing, you know, bad self-talk or bad, you know, frustration or anything like that. I mean, you can, you can be not liking the, the outcome of your shot and then, you know, try to change it. But I, I try to get them to, you know, challenge their mind a little bit and challenge, you know, play because, I'll, you know, it's kind of that old proverbial, we do block practicing or random or whatever. So if we, if I, if they know they're doing block practicing on a specific shot for a specific distance or something like that, then that's, that's okay. That's one type. Then you do random and then you can do like playing a course on the range, that type of thing, or doing a playing lesson. But mindset wise, I'm always trying to, you know, get them to just kind of relax and just be in the moment even when they're practicing because that then there's purpose you know I want them to have intent to have okay I'm gonna my intentions are to practice a 30 foot putt or my long long leg putting or something and then I'm going to give it all my attention so being aware of your attitude too during practice sessions I think is really is is critically important as well so I try to emphasize that Um, a lot Right. Let me let me ask you something. Um, I, I had some some students of mine had emailed some questions, um, and I just like to throw a few out if I could, and just get your your sure. feedback. Uh, do you mind? Sure, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the students uh, wrote to me, and and this is kind of a legitimate question. You know, we 
we're all familiar. There's all different types of golf clubs out there. We see all different types from forge to, you know, cavity back and all different uh, looks in that. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, again, it's not just feel, but it's also um, the, a visual component as well when per- making a purchase. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people struggle when it comes to the golf ball. There's so many out there and they don't know what ball they should be playing um, because they all look the same. So how do you, you know, how do you advise a student if somebody's looking to, to maybe improve their game a little bit and wants to make sure they're playing the right ball for them with so many on the market? What are some suggestions that you try to give them? Oh, there are so many on the, on the market. <laughs> and um, it's that, you know, that is a tough question. And I, I, I kind of like to, I defer to like, for instance, titleists used to give them, give these little booklets out and tell you what each type of ball should do and, you know, feel versus right. distance or both or, um, you know, and I, I think that, that you can, you can hear a lot from a ball, even when you put it, you know, it's, it's going to yep. be that, you know, that soft or kind of that rocky hard coming to come off your putter face. Um, I, I really feel like there, that's kind of like what kind of driver should I hit? And, and yep. it's, it's a, it's a personal thing. It's like, there's supposed to be, you know, there's, there's, there's harder balls. There's balls that are harder for, you know, coming off the face and, you know, they are going to give distance. They don't want feel or, and so it's kind of like, I, 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 I asked my students to do their own research in that. And, and so that we, you know, each, each person kind of is okay with, because each, each, you know, company, you can go online now and Google and say, okay, um, you know, what's this ball do or, what's you know what is this ball about is it feel or distance or both like i mentioned so it's kind of i, I let yeah. i let my students kind of decide on those um i i'm not really i don't want to push one ball versus the other or one company right. versus the other so i i kind of just let them you know if they if they like it and they say you know i tried these for a while and i don't like those at all but i really like these and that, i think that's the most important thing really i mean there's there's great balls out there you know the companies have you know, great options. For yeah, them, I think so. Yeah, I think it's much like, you know, buying, I mean, obviously a, a different price point, but much like buying a vehicle, it's a personal thing. You mm-hmm. have to get out there and yep. kind of try it out. And, and I think also too, Alicia, you raise a, a great point is, you know, you have to decide based on your abilities, your game, what's going to work best with you because they all offer a distance ball. They all offer a feel and, and, a, and a combination of the, the other uh, or a both. Yep. But uh, again, um, there, it's kind of like when you're selecting your clubs, you know, again, with the ball, it's different because they all look the same, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to, it comes down to more feel and, and how it reacts to your, uh, you know, your club face. If, if you want more right. distance, then you might want to look at a distance ball. If you need something that's um, maybe going to uh, spin a little bit more, maybe you're not getting enough spin on the, you know, when you're approaching the greens, and, you know, mm-hmm. so there's different factors to play. One of the biggest mistakes, I, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, many times, that I see is they say, well, you know, everybody says that, you know, and I'm not knocking any one manufacturer, but, you know, the pros play blah, 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 blah. Well, mm-hmm. most a- amateur golfers don't realize that these golf professionals are, have a swing speed of, you know, in many cases, 100 plus miles an hour. <laughs> uh, most amateurs yes. are lucky if they're hit, hitting 85. So, mm. you know, that dictates a lot so you're right i think going online especially with google going online Mm -hmm. and doing some a little bit of homework um and maybe trying a few you know buy you can 
most uh, places you can get a, a sleeve or, or sew sure. golf balls and just try some different ones and, and just see what works best for you. But you're right. It's, it's a very personal thing. Um, and, and that was pretty much the answer I gave back. Um, the other, the now, other thing too with that is that I would, I would encourage um, that golfer to, you know, if they're, I don't know, there's not really a cutoff point, if you will, to that, this, but when you practice, try to practice with the old golf balls that you, you know, like have an old shag bag or something, because the last yes. thing you want to do is practice with, you know, if you're really practicing, like, and you really want to know how the ball's coming off the face, and you want to know if there's any spin on a particular shot, or if there's any, you know, spin or roll or whatever, practice with the balls that you're going to play with, um, instead of range balls, because they'll come off the face a little bit differently, so... Um, I always encourage my students, especially the ones competing, to do that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point as well. Um, another one too, which is kind of common, especially nowadays with with so many different products out there uh, and different mm-hmm. golf clubs available. Um, you know, most people understand they can carry 14 clubs in the bag, but they don't know which 14 to carry. Again, this is a bit of a personal thing, um, but with some of your um, higher handicapped amateurs. Are, are there any recommendations, and not specific brand or anything like that, but types of whether it be high, maybe adding more hybrids in the club, uh, in the bag rather? Um, do, do you have that discussion with any of your students as well as how they should maybe maybe outfit their their golf bag? Yeah, on a daily basis for sure. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's you know when you're first starting or you want to find that you know I just want to I want to well there's so many different scenarios with that but. You, you know, if you don't want to make a huge investment in the beginning, but you want to kind of just, you know, get get started on some decent little set. There's there's good starter sets out there, but I with with lower hand or higher handicap golfers, I definitely um, encourage hybrids. I mean, I mean, I I've, yeah. I had some friends that back in the day when the hybrids first came out, and they were like, wow, tell all your students that, you know, I've taken the three iron out of my bag because. You know, the three iron came out so low and hot and it went over the par threes, you know, the long par threes they played on the tour. And so right. they, they, they're they like, they love the hybrids with a little more height and they can land it on the green and have it kind of stop and roll not as much. So, you know, I, I thought I thought it was funny back too when VJ Singh started playing and he had, they called it, he had a little seven wood in his bag and they said, yeah, he took out his grandma's yep. little seven wood and, you know, but I'm it, it's, it's just, you know, I always could just say the bottom line is it's more loft, it's more forgiving. So, again, we're going to go back to we want people to stay in the game and have fun. So we certainly don't want them to play, you know, clubs that have not enough loft or, or really hard, you know, if your swing isn't developed um, to, to do that. So I encourage higher handicappers to have the hybrids in their bag. And, and you know, the better, the lower handicappers, I've always encouraged them, you know, get drivers or clubs that, that are fitted, you know, especially drivers. That's such an animal of its own, you know. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a big proponent of hybrids with higher handicappers. Right, and and I think also too the other thing is, and you just hit on this was um, to make sure that everything is fitted properly. There's nothing worse than, uh, you know, especially um, you know, and I'll use the ladies as example. Um, you know, getting your your husband's hand me downs, which maybe are a heavier mm-hmm. club in some cases, uh, longer clubs. And you get out on the practice tee, and you're, you're wondering why you can't hit anything because it's not it's not fit for you. And mm. you know, so there is there are differences. They, you know, not all clubs are the same, and and uh, different clubs react differently. And and I think that you have to be outfitted um, properly, and that's where you need to go and see your 
um, your, your local, uh, you know, LPJ or PJ professional that uh, is, is certified in club fitting um, and, and just to, to get them to help you with that. Um, sure. The other thing too, and, and, and these are some, some common uh, questions, but you know, a lot of people, and I'm just interested in your thoughts here. Um, I had a student that, that wrote in with two questions really, but both sort of similar. Um, the first one was that they're, they're catching their irons um, thin and then the other one was that they were shanking the ball and they wanted to know what causes that. So let's, let's address the thin shot first. Um, what traditionally are some of the things that can cause uh, hitting the ball thin? Well, I just had, um, I mean, obviously I see this every day too, but, you know, a lot of times thin, in my opinion, when I, when I talk to my students, I, I like them to think about managing their vertical and their lateral movements. Just you know, managing. We the, we don't want a lot of vertical, obviously, because you know, if I go to the top of my swing and I move up two inches, I'm going to have to probably come back down those two to you know to find the ball again. And if I don't, I could hit it thin. So we manage vertical and lateral, and we just want we want much more rotational. And so um, that's one of the things that I talk about. But I also know that, uh, that a lot of people top the ball because they're actually anticipating hitting the golf ball, and yes. so they flinch. You know, they'll they'll their shoulders will go up and they'll they'll move. The, you know, if you think you know, okay, my hands are connected to the golf club, but if my shoulders flinch, my arms are going to go up, and it doesn't have to be very much. We all know that it can be a quarter of an inch, and you're going to top the ball and hit it thin. So it's you know, flinching. I just did this with a little girl. She's like 12, and she was, you know, on the lesson tee on Sunday, and and I said, look, you know, if you swing with relaxation, just trust your golf swing through the through the impact area. You know, so it's more of a trusting versus I'm going to try. She, you know, she, she looked up at me and she goes, well, I just don't feel like I have enough power then if I, if I relax like that. And I said, well, actually it's the opposite. If you relax, you know, if your shoulders don't go up and you don't shrug your shoulders during impact, you're, you're actually going to have more power because it's, it's, it's got, your arms will go through there faster. And that, that means club head speed, which means distance. <clears throat> and so she started experiencing mm-hmm. that a little bit. She was thinking that she had to get all tight and tense at impact to really you know, hit through, hit at that ball and shoulders go up and all this tension. And I'm like, no, that's actually going to rob you of distance. So tension's a big, you know, a big uh, adversary. It's not golf and tension don't particularly care for each other. So I think that's a lot yeah. of, uh, you know, hitting versus swinging. Right. So specifically when I learned, teach, right. you know, beginners, I'm like, look, I, I know golf is about, if you ask a whole bunch of people what golf is, it's, Okay, the object of golf is to get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes. So you're actually hitting hitting a, a ball. But I try to teach right. from a swinging mindset of I'm going to teach you how to swing the instrument. And then uh, in my book, you'll see where I sit, talk about the oops rule. It's oops, my ball got in the way. It's contact is incidental right. because I swung the I swung the instrument. I actually hit the ball. But when you really think about right. hitting, you flinch and then you pull up and then you actually you'll top it. You'll hit it thin. Yeah, and, and this is where, you know, in the setup, um, that rule applies. You know, when you've set up properly, the ball is going to get in the way. But you're, you're mm-hmm. really, you're, you really fo- you shouldn't focus on hitting the ball. You should focus on a, a fluid, uh, smooth swing, swing and mm-hmm. swinging that instrument, right. as you said. And, and you know, right. of course, uh, as many people have said in the past, that the ball just gets in the way. And um, I had a, a student that I've been working with for a little while, and when he first came to me, I remember – uh, something that you had mentioned a moment ago about, you know, vertical and, and, and so forth. And, and one of the things mm-hmm. that he used to do in his backswing is he would literally stand up and get out of posture and so much so that his head, and I, I videotaped him and I showed him where 
his head was rising anywhere on average between six to eight inches. Mm. And I thought to myself, this is why you're inconsistent. You know, because sure. there, you know, obviously there, there is going to be a subtle movement, but when you're lifting up that much, and then of course he has to drop back down in order to get sure. even anywhere close to the ball. And then of course, you know, he's either hitting it fat or, or flinching, as you said, in the last minute. So, you know, it, it's very, very important. And I know you, you talk about this um, in some of the notes that I got about how you, uh, on the lesson T, you really emphasize the fundamentals um, and, and work on the mechanics of the swing when you're out in the lesson tee to make sure that people are working with the, with the proper tools um, before they mm. get out on the golf course, and, and that's a big thing. Um, what about shanking the ball? What, what some of the things that cause that, and, and how can a golfer... I know we don't have the, the um, benefit of a visual here, so um, if you mm. can maybe, in, in best-case scenario, explain a little bit about shanking the ball, what some of the causes for that? Well, I mean, that could be... You know, if if you sometimes when golfers like I have golfers that get to the top of their swing and and then for some unknown reason their head moves like t- like forward like towards their weight starts moving towards their toes or you know they they start moving that way and then they get ahead of it and and or they they don't you know I always I always really encourage my students to get their you know their their hands back in front of them so they they know yes. that they're their hands aren't like way, way out ahead of the golf ball at impact. And, and so we're, you know, we're working on like, okay, top of backswing, wherever that is, even if it's at a, you know, part swing on the, on the back and then, you know, keeping your arms in front of you and get them back in front of you is okay. Here's one. And there's two is right in the middle and three is your finish. So trying to, the awareness of your golf club and where it's at. I mean, I literally just said to people, I've said to them, you know, okay, you want to, you want to try to, you know, get yourself into a position where, you know where your club head is. And, and so like, make that ball go straight. Like literally I would tell them, make that ball, make that ball go straight. Just you. And they look at me and they're like, well, you know, kind of like, well, that's your job. <laughs> You're supposed to make me hit the ball straight. But it's, it's interesting that they, you know, when I asked them to hit the ball straight, they hit it straight. It's like, and they look at me like, how did I do that? I'm like, well, you're in charge. You're running that. I mean, I use the acronym in my book about the car. You know, and I say, you know, yes. you're you're driving this car. You have you mm-hmm. have the opportunity. Because the car where acronym is choices, awareness, and repetition. So you're in charge of your car right now. So I can't swing the club for you. That's the experiential side that you're going to have. But you do need to know, like when I have them go to the top of their swing and slowly come back down at impact, and their hands are way ahead of it, and their face is way right, and their ball is like right off the hosel. They look at that and go, oh, they know that, that it's, that's not correct. They know that. But if they're going too quickly and they don't have that visual of, oh, yeah, that's, I don't want my club head to be there. They know that. And so they, you, you start telling them, okay, go up to the top of your swing. Bring the club back down to where you think it should be and show yourself and feel that. Now, that's where, that's where you want it to come back to. Now, now do that in a slow motion, you know, swing thought or, and motion and then, and then keep going up and, uh, you know, make your swing bigger. But there's a lot of things that it's almost like, right. It's almost like magic. I don't mean that in a sense. I don't mean that like it's magical to them. They, there, there are some, there are certain mechanics that, you know, that that we, you know, and fundamentals we got to have in place, but golly, there's, there's so many things that are, the students are, are they're, they're, they're in charge of, and they, they do have a lot of answers. They just don't believe it. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of variables, too, in, in golf. I mean, you know, like you said, there could be a, a thousand scenarios. I think another thing, too, that I, I've seen myself with a lot of golfers is, is how they address the ball. Some stand way too close to the ball. Uh, others stand mm-hmm. too far away. And a lot of times in their downswing, subconsciously, they try to reroute the club in order to meet that ball. And especially if, it's, if the ball is too close, if they're standing a little bit too close, especially with their iron shots, what often they yeah. will do is they will sort of they'll sort of draw in their arms in order to make that club face, and of course they're, mm-hmm. they're kind of all cramped in and they can't clear properly, and you know next thing you know the, the dreaded shank. So there's a lot of things. So I think what it is is I, I think as Jack Nicholas talked about in Golf My Way um, when he wrote that uh, or did the, the videos series a few years back, you know he talked about every season, the beginning of the season, and for those up in the Northeast right now, they're listening to the show. Now's the time that you should have been already doing it, but now's the time particularly to do it before you get out there um, is work on the fundamentals, um, you know, work on the grip, the stance, the posture, the alignment, mm-hmm. uh, those things and, and work on them religiously every time you go mm-hmm. to the practice tee so that when you get out of the before. golf course, you're going to be or or, before. Yeah, exactly. be, that, yeah. Yeah, the cold ones are the perfect time to work on that. <laughs> but you you know as well as I do, when you get some of those people, they hunker down for the winter, and it's like a bear in hibernation. They just you know <laughs> they they don't think about golf, and you know uh, depending on where they are, they're they're you know watching something else or they're just doing something else, um, and then they sort of you know the the dust gets blown off the club when they come out of the, it comes out of the garage in in the spring, and they think okay now I want to play golf, and they get out there and maybe hit a few balls and wonder why they can't play because they've sat dormant yeah. for, you know, four or five months yeah. or whatever the case is. That's why I love being down in Florida because I can play all year round. And, and uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I don't have some challenges, but um, I want to, I want to now jump. Uh, well, we've still got a little bit of time here. I want to jump to the book um, because there's a, a, one specific thing I really want to focus on here. And that is the connection between life and golf. And I want to just very quickly tell you about something I was watching last night on the golf channel uh, Faraday interviewed uh, Matthew McConaughey, the actor, and of course, mm-hmm. uh, he's a big golfer, loves golf, and he said something that was really kind of interesting, that he talks about um, how he compares his acting to how he plays golf, and what I mean by that is before every role that he plays and even every scene, he actually, in, in addition to, to preparing for that scene, he actually uh, puts an obstacle or a challenge to himself when getting ready for that character. And the reason why he does that is he said, if it was a smooth transition every time, um, it would become boring and repetitious. So he wants to present a challenge. And golf, much as there is in life, there are many challenges out in the golf course. Um, you, you did something in your book, we talked about this uh, a, a few weeks back when you were on Golf Talk Live, about how mm-hmm. you, you ended all of the chapters uh, with a golf lesson and a life lesson. Um, what was your reasoning for do that and explain what you mean and some of the parallels between life and golf? Yeah, that's that. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that really, you know, kind of prompted that was when I was thinking about writing the book, I was actually contemplating like, wow, if I could get this person who believes they can't hit a three wood off the fairway to actually achieve hitting a three wood off the fairway, my hope was that they would leave the lesson tee and actually achieve something outside of golf that they didn't think they could do. You know, you know what I'm saying? They could actually, wow, I, I just did that and I yes. never thought I could. And what if I applied that to something in my job? If I didn't think that I could meet that, 
projected number that my boss wanted me to do. I wonder if I just, if I approach that, that same concept of I just achieved that and I didn't think I could, if I, if I think I, you know, oh gosh, I don't think I can achieve that number, but I, what if I, tr- what if I really actually could? So I wanted them to transition that and take that. So I started thinking about, you know, and then a lot of people would say to me like, well, that was a great lesson, but you know, I, I, it was also a life lesson for me because the concept that I was trying to teach them about the golf game, the golf became the vehicle with which I was teaching a bigger message. It was almost like that was what, why it became so important to me that, that I have always heard that golf and life are very paralleled, but, but I just, I started like actually seeing it and then it was starting to become implementing into it. It was like, wow, this is actually like literally happening right, right in front of me. And, and these people are coming, you know, and sometimes they came just to kind of get things off their chest and, you know, they, they started swinging the ball that, you know, it was like a, a release of, wow, golf became that, you know, and that they would walk away with, you know, just one, one idea with their golf game, but they, they, they walked away with a life thing too, life lesson. So it's, there's such a parallel between those two. And, and we know that, but I, I think that's how it became so important to me that I, that I took those two, those two pieces and, and interjected them together, you know, in, in the book together, combined them in the book so that when you read it, you were like, how does this apply? Because the decisions I made with my self-talk, affected both my golf and my life sure. as, as a, as a whole. So um, in a, in a good way or, or not so good way. So I, I felt like if, if people could really start, like I said earlier, living from gratitude instead of just kind of talking about it, I think that they're yeah. being in the moment and helping a, a young high school girl live one day at a time. And then having her text me and say, thank you so much for teaching me how to do that. Even though I had so many people tell me I needed to do it, you taught me how to do it. And now I just stopped and watched the most beautiful sunset I think I've ever seen. And, you know, yeah. that, just that kind of stuff, you know, how, how do you, you know, it's like a lot of people come to the lesson tea and say, my, my, my husband, my friend, my, they've been telling me that I lift my head and that they, they, I, I know I do it, but I don't know how to fix it. So it's like, that's how you do this. Right. You can, you can do both. You can teach somebody how to live one day at a time through gratitude, just on the lesson tea, or you can teach somebody how to not lift up six inches, you know, on the backswing so that they can be more consistent. So there's such a intertwining of it. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. Totally. I, the, the, the interconnectedness of them is just indisputable. Yeah. And, and you did a, you did a great job, Alicia, in, in bringing the two together and, and you're exactly right. I, I think that there are so many lessons that you can take away. And, and I like the fact that golf does challenge you. I, I think it would be truly, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we all talk about, we, we listen to players and, they, you know, they say about wanting to master the game and really um, you don't master the game. And I think if anybody really ever did true, I mean, there's certainly some that, that look like they've gotten pretty close to it, um, but yeah. then they, you know, have some issues themselves along the way. But I think, I think if you ever truly did master it, I, I think there would come a point in time after a while. I mean, at first it'd be pretty exciting. Hey, I'm hitting every shot perfect and I'm scoring great and I'm winning all the tournaments. But then there would come a point in time, I think, where it would become a little bit routine and boring because, you know, as human beings, we, we do our best when we overcome uh, challenges or obstacles in our life. And if things come too easy, uh, again, we don't live in that uh, gratitude life. We become very uh, arrogant and very self-absorbed and look at me, look at me. And we don't yeah. really appreciate it. It's kind of like, you know, we, we've heard this expression many, many times, but you know, if you 
learn to appreciate the value of a dollar, for instance, um, you're more apt to be uh, successful and appreciative of the things that you get in life. Whereas if everything is handed to you and, you know, Daddy Warbucks shows up and just dumps a chest full of money, it might be great. But at the same time, you don't really learn the, the, the crucial lessons in life. And that applies the same thing in the golf course. If you don't have some challenges along the way, you don't learn anything. It just right. becomes routine and mundane. And I like how, yeah, I like how you've tied that together um, very well in the book. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've had, and we talked about this, but, you know, you had some great quotes in there as well. Um, was, was there any of the quotes that you can recall off, off the top of your head um, that really sort of resonated with you? Was there anything specific? Oh, gosh. You know, each one of those quotes was um, so so thought 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 out relative to where they you know where they're where they're at strategically in the book and um i you know i i honestly couldn't probably pick out one because every one i picked out is like ooh, that's so perfect that's exactly where it belongs and i love that one yeah. so it, it, it <laughs> right. it's like i could uh, if i picked one they might the other ones might be offended i don't know <laughs> but um i i just think that the <laughs> well there, the there um, was... no no go go ahead no no go ahead oh i was i was just saying that you know i think that the quotes are are you know like in the moment in the book like they're 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 kind of like to just like hit you right between the eyes like whoa okay i got that one um and so it's it's one of those things where i i i probably don't even have a favorite cuz i think i would say every one of those quotes in there is my favorite so you know it'd be it would be like which one means the most to you at the moment you know it could be like whatever you're living if it were had to do with something in the foundation chapter you know with the fundamentals like if you were working on that particular area of your game then the foundation or the fundamentals you know comment might like wow okay that really resonated um you know or if you're looking at the impact chapter and saying Wow, that what kind of impact? And so it would be like kind of like wherever you're at. That's why I have a guy, I have a student that said he's read this book like six times, um, and he gets something, you know, each right. time he gets gets just different times of his life that he's actually, you know, this chapter really, you know, hurt, you know, hit hit home to me this time. And last time I read it, that chapter hit home to me more, you know. So it's kind of it was kind of fun to hear that. So, but I, yeah, I did have a, a an article. To... <coughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I was just no, going to tell you, I have a, I have an article that I that I I found um, one of, that that particular student sent me this on Facebook, and it was just fascinating because he said, "Does this sound familiar, Alicia Larson?" And it's how gratitude can take your golf game to the next level, and it has a picture of Dust, Justin Rose and Sergio on the front, yeah. and you know, and Justin Rose is patting him on the back or whatever. But I, what a great article um, by his name is John Haim. And, you know, he has characteristics of grateful golfers. And uh, it's just a great how to become a grateful golfer. But, you know, the characteristics of grateful golfers are, you know, they appreciate what they have. They're grateful for com- for com- for competitors. Um, they appreciate the journey and the struggle, which you just referred to. Um, they sweep the shed, yep. which means they, you know, they kind of just, they appreciate everything they receive. There's no enti- entitlement kind of thing. Um, they enjoy pressure. Mm-hmm. They do not rely on winning, and they let go. So it's like that. Those are that's just. And then they had he has paragraphs that you know talk about each one and expound on them. But then it says, how do you become a grateful golfer? 
It says, never forget how lucky you are to be playing such a fantastic game. Remember, you can only feel one emotion at once. And uh, think about two things you're grateful for at the end of each day. And that's how I helped that one young girl live one day at a time. She started writing a gratitude journal. So throughout the day, her awareness had to be, you know, up to what, what made you really stop and smile today. So she'd write that down two or three things at the end of every day. So she has a gratitude journal. She starts, all my students have that. Um, and, you know, be, be grateful for what you have, you know, including the opportunity to play the game and just gr- a great article about gratitude and golf. And I, obviously it would resonate with me because that's the name of my company. So it's, I think this is, this is really like you had mentioned early is starting to really start, you know, coming out of the, of the kind of the back side of golf to where it's like, okay, we have always said golf is mental because every time I've said something, you know, Mm -hmm. in a presentation, how many I think golf is a mental game and that, you know, it's, it's, it's invariably, you know, out of, if there were a hundred people, I bet you 90% of them would raise their hand. And, you know, so they know that there's a mental aspect to it. Uh, And so I'm, my thesis paper for my master's level status is, that I think that we, like I, I think I mentioned this too in a, in a the earlier show I did. That I think we have an obligation right. as teachers to start, you know, talking about gratitude and talking about the mental game and teaching these people how because the world is so fast right now and so furious yes. relative to driving and cutting in front of people and just, you know, everybody's yes. you know getting angry. They're, people are getting angry at me for doing the speed limit. I'm not, I'm not, you know, like maybe even over the five miles <laughs> over the speed limit. And they're they're like shaking their hand at me and, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm just kind of hanging out here doing my thing, you know, and they're just getting mad at me because I'm not going quite fast enough for them or I'm in their way or something. So I, I really like to slow things down and, and, and live that. So, you know, the, the gratitude and the, the mind game and the, you know, the paper that I'm writing for my master's level status is I think we need to, I think all of the golf professionals in the country need to start really focusing on how do we, you know, the enjoyment part of it. How do you, how do you teach our students to to really enjoy it? Because he, he says, in, he said, in my work with athletes and in previous articles, I highlight the importance of enjoyment over achievement. How's that? Yes. I mean, yeah, we want enjoyment. It is. You know, I, I've always At said all this. I think that, yeah, I think the best winners are even better losers. Um, because I think mm-hmm. that when you lear- learn to lose – with um you know grace and dignity and um you know showmanship and and um just um you know humbleness whatever other adjectives you want to throw in there i think you become mm-hmm. a, a better winner and if you look at many of the professionals that have come up through the ranks um the ones that were truly good uh, i mean phenomenal losers i mean they they and i don't mean that the, how they lost the, the tournament. I'm talking about how they handled themselves, just like Justin handled. did with, with Sergio yeah. when he, when he, yeah, how they handled themselves uh, in defeat said a mm-hmm. lot about their character. I mean, you never, you know, you never saw Arnold Palmer thumping his club down in the ground when he lost the tournament or Jack Nicholas or Gary player or any of the, uh, you know, Nancy Lopez, any of the, uh, you know, Kathy Whitworth, there's, a, you know, thousands of them that you can name, you know, you never saw them. They, they always, always, whenever they lost a tournament for whatever reason, sure there was disappointment and, and I'm sure that internally that they were saying, think, gosh, I wish I didn't blow that shot on whatever, but 
they rose above it and they went and they congratulated the, the winner of the tournament. Um, and then they went on and, you know, focused on whatever it was that they felt that they didn't achieve in that particular game to, to overcome that challenge. But you never saw them, um, you know, again, thumping their club or whatever the, the, the reaction would be and, and becoming a poor loser. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's why when they went on to win, they were such graceful and, and just incredible winners. And I think that's why a lot of the fans really gravitated because they never had this, they, they, they did it with gratitude. As you said, they did it with gratitude. And um, I think that resonated over the years. And that's something in society. I think we need more of, I think, unfortunately, you know, in, in the world of, of, you know, all of these different programmings, um, what are they? I can't even think what they call them now, but, uh, um, you know, you see all these reality TV shows and that it's all about oh, yeah. me. It's how can I, you know, yeah. get more, make more Facebook likes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there's yeah. no humbleness. There's no gratitude in, in, in their uh, objectives. And I right. think it, that it, this it, is it, the it, same thing with golf. I think if you just go out, right. If you go out and enjoy it and just have fun and just, mm-hmm. you know, there's a time and place to practice the fundamentals and work with your coach or your teaching professional, but you need to, to play with gratitude, and I think you'll enjoy it much more. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, the story of Arnold Palmer and, and all the thousands and thousands of letters he wrote to people over the however many years, oh, yeah. the last 50 years, what a fascinating and what a testimonial of his character, of the person he was, because, you know, I, and I, I – my – my academy here in town, they, you know, the the driving range I was I was teaching at closed down, so I went. I'm at a private club, and the private club, you know, obviously you have to be a member, and you can't just I can't bring public members, you know, to to the club to teach them, right. and so some of my academy girls joined the club. Well, the general manager gave them a little bit off their membership, then a woman at the club donated fifteen hundred dollars. And I divided that by five because five of my students joined, and so they got three hundred dollars more off their membership. And then, then I had them do like a little fundraiser, like sell you know cookies and pretzels and whatever, because I want them to earn part of what they, you know, they they got they got six hundred dollars literally handed to them by the you know three hundred by the general manager yes. and then three hundred by the by the woman. But then they had to pay you know another thousand dollars or whatever it is for their membership. But, you know, I wanted them to have some sort of skin in the game. And then I gave them notes. Yep. You are going to write a handwritten note, thank you note to this woman and to the general manager. So now the general manager is going to get handwritten notes from all of my students because you don't take the time to, like, everything is, and I thought ironically I saw this uh, thank you note that said this is not a text message. It's, it was literally on the note. It said this is not a text. And, you know, it was it was like a handwritten <laughs> note that they could write in mail. It was hilarious, you know, because it's like from the 21st century, everybody text messages. So here's a, a note in the mail right. that's and, coming and from we, a young kid that says this isn't a text, you know, to a, to a general manager of a private club that says thank you for allowing me and giving me a discount right, and allowing exactly. me the and, opportunity and we, to play at a private club. You know, that's just fa- fabulous. So, yeah, the gratitude part of it is. You know that teaching we, the kids how to do that, right? And we understand, you know, with technology, there's things that are out there, and we understand all that. And we we partake in, in many of that. But you're right; that's a lost art. And I think that mm-hmm. when you have to, you know, take the time to actually sit down and think about what you want to say, and not, you know, just type it in randomly in a computer or, or on a on a uh, a phone or something like that. When you actually have to take the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it, it, I think it just means uh, and carries a lot more weight. Um, Alicia, sure. we're, we're just about out of time here, so I want to give you an opportunity to uh, let the folks know if they're interested in getting a copy of your book. Um, the uh, um, where can they where can they go to find that? Oh, they can get it on Amazon. And my name spelled A L E C I A, and then Larson is with an E L A R S E N. If you type in those two things on the search bar, you should be it'll it'll the the uh, book cover will come up and you'll find it. Um, so that's on Amazon.com. And then there's also if anybody has any questions that you know if they're listening and they will have any questions for me, um, they can email me at um, from my website, which is uh, www.gratitudegolf.com, and there's a place that you can email me from there. Perfect. Um, the book is The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf uh, by the uh, wonderful author Alicia Larson and uh, LPGA teacher professional and founder of Gratitude Golf. Um, what a great uh, hour. Thank you for spending it with me and, and sharing your thoughts and, uh, and once again introducing uh, your book to uh, the many thousands of people out there that are tuning in this morning. Um, thank you for doing so and, and I was glad that we were able to make this happen. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy talking on your shows because I, I just love to spread the message of this, you know, with people and, and just helping them to understand that there's so many, there's so many ways you can enjoy this great game. So, um, you know, having and living gratitude as you're walking down the fairways is one great way to do it. So thanks for the opportunity. Exactly. You're welcome. You're welcome back anytime uh, on both shows. Um, on that note, thank you again, Leisha, for, for joining me this morning. And I'm going to let you go because I know you've got a busy day, as, as do I. And I look forward to uh, having you join us again in the future. Okay. Thanks, Ted. You have a great ta- day, too. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, Alicia Larson. And, again, the book is The Missing Link, uh, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf. And you can get that at Amazon.com and just uh, type in uh, the missing link and, and or also Alicia Larson, and it's A-L-E-C-I-A-L-A-R-S-E-N. Um, also, just um, uh, on a quick note, uh, we will be back next week. Cindy should be back on the show. I believe she'll be back from her uh, corporate event. Um, so we look forward to you joining us. Remember to join in every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the Women of Golf Show. Just go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Women of Golf up in the uh, search key, and that will take you to the uh, program. And I want to thank all of you for joining me live this morning uh, here on the Women of Golf. And don't forget to tune in this Thursday uh, to Golf Talk Live, also on the Women, or also on blogtalkradio.com network. Just type in Golf Talk Live in the search key instead. And that will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I hope you'll tune in this Thursday. I've got some great guests and, of course, always starting off uh, with a fantastic Coach's Corner panel discussion on the first hour. But on that note, uh, God bless everybody. Have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us here again next week on the Women of Golf.